Welcome, glad you're here. It's PHS Proud Audio Time. Hello everybody, this is Sean Navin. Just wanna say happy Veterans Day to all the public health service officers and then of course, um, all of the US military who have served. And I wanna talk about Veterans Day because as a public health service officer, can kind of put you in a peculiar place around this time. So uh, being a public health service officer, you are by law considered a veteran of the United States. And uh, of course, wearing the uniform like we do every day, uh, a lot of people are gonna see you and think, oh, well, they're in the military. Um, And then, you know, you have veteran status. And so it can all be very confusing because public health service um, usually is not part of the armed forces. So I say usually because that's kind of the key word here. And I want to talk about how public health service officers became or earned the status of being a veteran of the United States, because not everybody uh, can be called a veteran. Like it takes a certain type of um, service to do that. So Veterans Day is a holiday that celebrates all U.S. veterans in the military. Uh, And this is different from Memorial Day, where Memorial Day celebrates service members who were actually killed um, in the service of war. So Veterans Day is honoring all veterans who have served in the United States Armed Forces. It used to be called Armistice Day, which actually started in World War I. And after some time uh, in the 50s, I believe, um, there was a veterans group that, you know, didn't want to just specify that it was Armistice Day because that was only honoring World War One. They wanted to honor all veterans. So um, they got it changed to Veterans Day eventually. So so why is the public health service and, and its officers, I should just say the commission core of the public health service, I'm just going to call it. PHS, um, and that's going to be referring to the core officers, because historically the core officers have been a small percentage, you know, anywhere from 15 to 30 percent of the actual public health service. And so it's actually a small core within the public health service, which is interesting because in other services, in the armed forces, it's mostly active duty and in uh active duty enlisted and commissioned personnel that outnumber the civilians that support that service. But in the public health service, it's a small core. Um, and so, you know, how do they become veterans of the United States? It, it's, you know, it's not just about wearing a uniform and, you know, going where you're needed to help health crises. That's what I want to dive in today. So the public health service you know, as a lot of us know, was established as a uniform service in 1889 and was organized according to a military model. And the idea was that a mobile cadre of public health service officers would be sent where they are needed to protect the nation's health at U.S. Marine hospitals. Um, They were at U.S. Marine hospitals. They were at Uh, quarantine stations and immigration stations, just to name a few places that they were sent. So that was the idea. So they were being sent around the the nation to uh, serve in these areas that that were of great need. But just being 
in the uniform and going where you're needed doesn't mean you're a veteran. And they weren't considered veterans early on. And, and in fact, compared to now, they were moving around the country much more. Officers were, were being ordered and had much more of a command staff in the early 1900s, much more than we do, much more than what we have these days. So they arguably were much more mobile and going to where they're needed uh, much more than than the situation is now. And again, it's just this is just a structural issue. But again, that, that doesn't make you a veteran. What, what makes you a veteran requires service in war. So when the United States entered the Spanish-American War in 1898, the Public Health Service was actually militarized for the first time by presidential authority. Now, this honestly probably would have never happened if the Public Health Service wasn't in fact organized along a military model in the first place by the first Surgeon General John Maynard Woodworth. You know, this is just my, my intuition, but if he would have never organized them along military lines and actually had them as a uniform service, you know, why would the president have militarized them in the first place? Um, so, so this is, th this was the first time 1898, um, there was a Sp Spanish American war, uh, which just lasted a couple months a few months, and so the uh, public health service officers were were militarized to uh, part participate in this war, and a lot of officers helped. You know, they were in the soldier camps, helping spread, helping control the spread of yellow fever in those camps. Um, there was at least one surgeon aboard a revenue cutter in the Battle of Manila Bay. So this was the first time that you know PHS officers were you know at war um, and in a combat situation. So this was unprecedented to have the public health service uh, serving in a war. And it, you know, it's kind of unexpected. Um, so it kind of highlighted the need to clarify the role of PHS because they had all these functions throughout the country, you know, uh, operating the Marine hospitals, operating the quarantine stations, uh, inspecting immigrants at the health stations there. They were doing a lot of stuff that was very important for the country, but now they're being militarized and kind of being pulled in another direction. So uh, Congress uh, decided that it, it was needed to clarify the role of PHS during wartime without compromising the nation's need for its public health protection. So in 1902, there was legislation introduced that was authorized, and it authorized the president to utilize, uh, quote, to utilize the public health and Marine Hospital Service in times of threatened or actual war to such extent and in such manner as shall, in his judgment, promote the public interest without, however, in any wise impairing the efficiency of the service for the purpose, purposes for which the name was created and the same was created and is maintained. So all to say that the, the president can indeed uh, militarize uh, the public health service uh, you know, if we're being threatened with war or actual war um, without impairing its other functions. So that's, they just wanted to spell that out. So this was in 1902. And, you know, a couple of years, a few years later, a decade later, uh, President Wilson actually used this authority to militarize the PHS again because he was anticipating us entering World War I. So uh, he militarized PHS again uh, during World War I, PHS officers you know, were caring for sick and wounded soldiers. Uh, they provided care on uh, warships, Navy and Coast Guard ships. Um, and so 
it was after World War One that again Armistice Day was established to celebrate those who served in the war, and uh, Armistice Day eventually became Veterans Day later on. Um, but really, at, still at this time, PHS officers did not receive, you know, military benefits or you know, weren't considered veterans at that time. It wasn't until we had the leadership of a man who I think has done more for the public health service than anyone else. I've actually mentioned uh, Rear Admiral Scott Guyberson as being someone who's done uh, just as much for the PHS as a uniform service in, in our modern time. But I think this person, Surgeon General Thomas Perrin, has done more for the PHS as a uniform service, um, you know, more than anybody during his time. So Thomas, it wasn't until Thomas Perrin um, came along and it was through his leadership that PHS officers uh, became veterans. So uh, Perrin, you know, through the mid-30s and early 40s was really doing a lot of work behind the scenes. He was on a mission to create a very tightly run PHS, uh, you know, a very tightly run medical bureaucracy. And, and he also really wanted to bolster the status of corps officers. Um, and due to their unique role, it was recognized that, you know, they were very unique. Um, they didn't, they weren't receiving civil service benefits and they weren't receiving military benefits. Um, one congressman uh, that Perrin was working with had actually noted that Corps officers were neither fish nor fowl. You know, it's hard to put your finger on what they are. Um, in many ways, this statement still holds true today. Like, you know, are, is the PHS military or not? Like what, <laughs> it's, it's constantly trying to, uh, if you're a PHS officer, you're always educating and, and you know, having to justify like what, what you're doing in, in many ways. So neither fish nor fowl. It's a very, um, uh, it's a statement that definitely carries weight today. So at the time, Perrin, um, he was trying to, you know, really uh, bolster PHS, bolter, bolster the core officers, uh, reputation. Uh, they had a good reputation at the time, but, you know, he, he wanted to strengthen that. Um, and he actually requested that PHS be transferred to the War Department, um, which they rejected because they saw PHS essentially as a civilian service. I, you know, I, I can see that they, they weren't necessarily participating consistently in battle. You know, they had been militarized a couple times, but, um, you know, they saw PHS as, as a civilian service. And so, uh, you know, Thomas Perrin, he, he was concerned about uh, this because, you know, and not having military benefits because without enticing benefits, you know, he was just thinking it'd be, he would have a hard time recruiting uh, and retaining officers. So uh, through the early, um, early 40s and in 1943, this is really when this occurred, uh, uh, Perrin was writing uh, many bills that were being submitted to Congress. So the Surgeon General was very much involved um, in this type of activity at the time. Perrin was writing, uh, rewriting uh, bills. He had initially sent one bill that um, re was requesting military benefits that was actually rejected. And then over a course of six months, he had been writing other bills um, that didn't get that didn't have the benefits in it. But then something happened within Congress. I've got the full details, but uh, they they um, ta uh, Perrin ended up reintroducing his old bill. This was like six months later. Uh, he, he, so just to say it again, like he he initially introduced a bill that had the military benefits that was rejected, denied. 
by the uh, budget office and then I, uh, I think the veterans, uh, uh, the VA at the time. Um, and then he put in all this work through a course of six months to put up another bill. And then something happened in Congress where he had ended up reintroducing the old bill, which actually ended up getting passed. Um, and this was, this is all through 1943 through 1944. So he's really, you know, putting in the work uh, writing up these bills. So in, in 1944, this is the key act that Congress passed. It was the U.S. Public Health Service Act in 1944. And this included military benefits for Corps officers. Um, and it included instruction for the president to make PHS officers part of the military. So, um, so this happened in 1944. U.S. Public Health Service Act included military benefits and some uh, veteran benefits uh, were included in that language. So the following summer of 1945, President Truman uh, used that authority from that bill to declare the Commission Corps to be a military service and a branch of the land and naval forces of the United States during the period of the present war. So again, PHS is now militarized again. So this earning the military benefits uh, would not have happened uh, had they not been had Perrin not been raising the hand to go to war or had had they not um, issued that authority to the president again so so the so PHS got into the war so World War II and now the number of corps officers has quintupled so there's you know in the 500s of commission corps officers um, and now it quintupled to approximately 2,500. So a majority of the officers, more than 600, uh, were assigned to the Coast Guard. Um, and uh, there were five USPHS officers who were killed in combat. Ten others lost their lives during their military service time. So again, PHS is uh, participating in war, uh, serving in war. Um, and they did that until they were they remained part of the land and naval forces through 1952, uh, and which at, at that point we were already in another war, in the Korean War. Um, and once that ended uh, in 1952, 1953, the president did not extend his authority to maintain the Corps as a military force. So that was the end of the official militarization of the Commission Corps. Um, for, and that was the last time, really. So there have been officers, you know, that have, supported missions in Vietnam and, and Gulf War. I would really like to know more history about that, like what, what did that entail? But, um, you know, they were, they were there supporting the military. Um, not sure if they were actually in combat or on, on ships, not sure how that worked out, but, um, you know, they've, they've been in Vietnam and Gulf War uh, missions. But again, it's one or two officers here and there that the, the PHS is so small, um, they haven't been fully militarized uh, like they were in the world wars and Korea. So, so even though they had been militarized before, um, you know, prior to world war two, <clears throat> PHS officers really earned their veteran status and military benefits upon entry into world war two, thanks to the work of Thomas Perrin. So, uh, PHS officers, you know, they, they served during wartime. They've lost their lives in battle. Um, you know, Yes, it was small. It was smaller numbers, of, you know, as far as PHS officers, um, 
you know, only a couple hundred, a couple thousand, you know, eventually in World War II. Um, so the number of people that died is much less than the, the armed forces. And it's not about counting numbers, but um, it's just, you know, PHS is just smaller than the armed forces. So, um, so this makes sense of so PHS. They kept on getting militarized, probably because they were structured along a military model. They were, they were in uniform. So the president militarized them back in the Spanish-American War. They kept on getting militarized through World War One, World War Two. These guys weren't getting any benefits. Uh, Perrin was like, "Hey, why? You know, it, you know, we don't have disability benefits through the civil service nor through the military, and we keep on getting militarized. So, so it made sense that hey, we keep on entering these wars. PHS keeps getting militarized into these wars. So, like." I think it, it this makes sense to start getting military benefits and veteran status. In fact, this happened with the uh, merchant marines, where they would they would be helping out the military, and in those times of war, they actually earned veteran status. So, so we kept kept on having war every couple of decades. So, you know, it's it makes sense that hey, let's just give these guys military benefits and veteran status because they're going to be brought into the war anyway. Um, so this hasn't happened for a long time. So I mean, a different conversation is, well, should PHS still be earning military benefits um, if they haven't been militarized? War, the nature of war has changed um, and maybe doesn't warrant that, but the, the, the future is hard to predict. We don't know what type of wars we're going to be in in the future. And then if we had another big war, I wouldn't be surprised, of course, if PHS was militarized. Uh, so now... So presidential authority has been updated um, to include uh, the following language, quote, in time of war or of emergency. So that's that's a key addition in time of war or of emergency involving the national defense proclaimed by the president. He may, by executive order, declare the commission corps of the service to be a military service, end quote. So that's the, the current language, which that's the language I came into the corps under. Um, so when you take the oath to be an officer, this is what you're signing up to do. Like you can be militarized, you can be sent to war like that. That is known. So I remember when I joined PHS, my mom actually asked me because she was a little surprised about what it was. Like most people are, you know, why are you wearing the uniform, blah, blah, blah. And I remember she asked me, so can they can they send you off to war? And the answer was yes. <laughs> yes, they can. So um and let's be clear, I mean, PHS is, is the back of the line. Like, you know, I'm not confused that the armed forces are at the front of the line and it's very unlikely, but it, this, I mean, you just have to look at history and know that it can repeat itself. So um, this is what you're signing up to do. So, so this is how PHS earned veteran status. PHS did not earn veteran status just by being in uniform, being a mobile cadre of medical officers that just went where they were ordered to to help out with public health crises. Like, that's respectable and admirable, but that's not why they earned veteran status. Having that military model and uniform service likely facilitated their entry into the military. Um, so it's very interesting just how this has all played out throughout history. And so, you know, PHS officers have, have earned their, their veteran status by participating in all the great wars of the United States. And given the uncertainty of the next big conflict and, and PHS's likely involvement in it, it really made sense to provide its officers military benefits and veteran status, and which is why PHS officers 
have that veteran status to this day. So being, being a veteran, it's, I think it's very important to understand this history and that being a veteran doesn't just mean you're wearing a uniform and like serving um, the underserved in healthcare and kind of going where that's needed. Like that's very important, but that's not why PHS are considered veterans. It's very important to understand the history that when war is upon the nation, you, you can be called to serve and they, PHS has served. They have done that and it will likely happen in the future. So um, I hope this helps understand um, why the public health service officers are considered veterans. Um, very important to understand the history. I hope you enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to this episode on PHS Proud Audio Time. If you enjoyed this episode, could you do me a favor and leave a review on the podcast platform that you use? This really helps other people discover the platform so that we can spread the good word about the U.S. Public Health Service. Better yet, let a fellow officer know, family member, or friend know about this podcast so that they can learn about the unique history and culture of the U.S. Public Health Service. Thank you.